Hello, welcome to our service this morning, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I hope you've had a good morning so far, and it's good to have you with us. As Thursday evening was a solemn time of remembrance, and Friday evening was a sad time of regret, this morning is to be a spectacular time of rejoicing. So to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a spectacular way is appropriate. I remember one time at our church, we decided to have a little bit of a celebration party. So as the children walked in, they saw the sanctuary decorated with helium balloons and glow sticks. And they just had a blast for the first 15 minutes of the service, singing songs that they knew and dancing around. So I think that was appropriate, and I think it's appropriate now. This morning, we're going to... Uh, uh, I know we're all in our individual homes instead of at our church home, but everyone who is joining us at this moment is part of the Gathering Community Church community. Therefore, you are not alone. We are together, and most importantly, He is with us. So Friday evening, we read the account of Christ walking from Pilate's court to Golgotha. We read of the people He encountered. He encountered Simon of Cyrene, and he carried his cross. We encountered the professional mourners, two thieves, and a Roman centurion at the cross. But out of the many with whom he encountered and those who came to view the spectacle, three surrendered their lives to him. That's what the uh, scriptures report. There may have been more, but we know there were only three who surrendered. Jesus died upon the cross was taken down from the cross and placed in a tomb where he lay for three days. And I am quite sure that to his apostles and other followers, all seemed to be lost at that point. So the significance of all he had taught them and the events of the last few days, which outnumbered, uh, which eliminated or culminated in this horrible death, was lost on them. The account of the resurrection of Christ is in all our Gospels, all four of them, and it is a lengthy and detailed historical event, so much so that we cannot possibly cover all of this this morning. Therefore, this morning, we are going to stick with one of the accounts we find in Luke. Uh, as a church, we will return to these particular scenes beginning next week and look at the details of all of these things. It's really fascinating. So a brief review, Jesus has been whipped, he's been punched in the face and mocked. He was nearly unrecognizable. He makes his way to Golgotha and he is nailed to a cross and suffers upon the cross for six hours. So that they might speed the death of the condemned, they pierce his side with a sword. The apostles are watching from a distance and following his death his body is wrapped in cloth and placed in a tomb. So now they are huddled in an upper room with no leader, very little hope. And they wait, and they pray, and they hope, and they pray again. And they pray for three days. And then we read the following in the 24th chapter of Luke. Luke 24, 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. 
Who were the they that went to the tomb? Well, we have an answer to that in verse 10. Luke 24, 10 says, It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with whom uh, told these things to the apostles. It was the ladies who decided to proceed with the ceremonial treatment of the body of Jesus. So they went to the tomb, and when they arrived, verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They obviously recognized that these two men were supernatural beings. They were angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So they returned to the upper room and tell the apostles what they had seen and heard. And we read in verse 11 how they received their words. Verse 11 says this, But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. <clears throat> I'm not sure how that could happen. Three years following Jesus and people coming in and out of that group, but for the most part, there was a core group, and these ladies were part of that core group. And why would they not believe them now? But they didn't believe them. But Peter rose. So Simon Peter, our impetuous Simon Peter, he rose and ran to the tomb. And when he got there, he stooped and looked in. He saw that the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So again, there is much more to the story than we can cover this morning. But with Luke, we get a picture of what was going on. For me, the bottom line was that there were 11 men who had walked and talked with Jesus for three years, and they were huddled in a secret upper room, and they were all at a total loss as to what they should do. Uh, if I had been there, I would have been right in that group of people. I would have been the same way. Just as Jesus had predicted, it would take time for all that they had seen and heard to make sense. So my guess is that they were stunned, in disbelief, and frightened about their futures. And finally, on the first day of the week, some of the women go to prepare the body, and the body is missing. So knowing that guards had been placed at the tomb, it made no sense that the body was gone. So the eleven dismissed the report. Now according to Luke, all but one dismissed the report. Luke 24, 12, that Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Something clicked inside of Simon Peter's mind. So Simon Peter, being Simon Peter, bolts from the room to see for himself. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling 
at what had happened. That sounds familiar because Friday night we talked about a certain centurion that saw some amazing things. He used the same word. He marveled at what had happened. So now we're going to read another section of Scripture. It's a continuation of Luke, but it's one of my favorite Scriptures. So uh, if just indulge me. It's a little bit lengthy, but I'll read it for us. Luke 24, 13 says, that, says this, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these three days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but in him, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, this is Christ talking to the two men on the road to Emmaus, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There are so many wonderful things in this scripture passage. I would like to take a look at this and just point some things out. There were two disciples, not necessarily apostles, of course, leaving Jerusalem at least three days after the crucifixion, probably Sunday morning, it would be on our calendar. And one of them is identified as Cleopas, and they were having a discussion about the abuse, the death, burial of Jesus, and his missing body. And as they traveled to Emmaus, and Emmaus was approximately a five-hour walk from Jerusalem, we read this, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And I find uh, the, the impression that Jesus may have had uh, with, this, uh, with this little bit, I think he was kind of playing with them a little bit, honestly, because he's walking along and he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? So Cleopas answers 
this way. And I love how he answered it. Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have been happening there? Where have you been? And our, uh, maybe we would phrase it, have, have you been under a rock someplace? And by the way, Cleopas' question tells us that the crucifixion of Jesus is widely known. So we have, we have a testimony here from Cleopas. As far as I know, he's only mentioned once in the scriptures. But one of his testimonies is that Jerusalem was full of people and that everyone knew about this incident. Jesus responds if he was unaware of the whole thing. And he said to them, well, what things? What things are you talking about? So they told him the whole story. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. This next part shows us how badly the plan of the Jewish leaders failed. If you recall, the Jewish leaders were trying to manipulate things so that Rome would be the bad guy. Rome was trying Jesus and Rome was executing him. But according to Cleopas, that didn't, did not work. Verse 20, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. These two men laid the responsibility, the condemnation and death of Jesus Christ directly at their feet. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And then, as we read earlier, they complete the whole story about Mary finding the, to the tomb empty and telling the apostles and Peter running to the tomb. So Jude, uh, Jesus takes this time to tutor these two men concerning the resurrection. Verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Now, what comes next is the most amazing part of this scripture to me. Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus took this time with these two men on a road, and he began to go back from the Old Testament as far as Moses, and he began to unwrap the mystery of who he was to these two men. One who remains nameless to us to this day. He connected all of the dots or put all of the pieces of the puzzle together for them, however you may want to look at that. They were not listed in Luke's list of disciples, and yet, as far as we know, they were the first to receive this comprehensive teaching. It's amazing. The other apostles are famous. Paul is famous. Samuel is famous. David is famous. Many, many famous people. In the New Testament, many, many famous people. And God chose one nameless man, and a man that is only mentioned once in all the Bible, and he took the time on the road to Emmaus, to unwrap the mystery of the Old Testament and the prophets and how that connected to him. And basically he is saying, I'm that guy. I am the Messiah. 
and this is how you can look back and know it is me. So let's pick up the rest of the story, beginning with verse 28. It gets even better. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. I like that. Jesus is just kind of acting like, um, it's been great knowing you guys. It's been great having this opportunity with you. And what you'll, what you'll see later on is they still didn't know who he was. And so he, he just kind of proceeds with, well, I'm going to go on a little further. And had they not asked for him to stay, they would have missed a tremendous blessing. These two would have missed out if they had not even urged him. And sometimes I think that's us. There's a common scripture that we receive not because we ask not. So we pick up the scripture in verse 30. They go to where they were staying. He says, when, and it says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Now, picture this. The last time Jesus shared communion is when he instituted communion and he was with the 12. He has just raised, been raised from the dead and he is now sharing communion with one nameless guy and the other guy. Their eyes were opened when he broke the bread and they recognized him. So what did Jesus do then? What do you say? Well, this is what he did. He vanished. He just disappeared. So if they didn't know he was Jesus when he broke the bread, the fact that he just disappeared into midair would have confirmed that. This is an exciting thing. I mean, I just can't believe this. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, five-hour trip, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. I'm not sure when that happened. I have a feeling maybe he vanished from Emmaus and then went to Jerusalem and maybe appeared to Simon Peter, or it may have been the other way. But by the time they get to where the other 11 apostles are, and they, these guys knew them, or they couldn't have found them and walked into them, by the time they got there with their story of Jesus, this is what they heard. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, meaning Simon Peter. Then they, meaning Cleopas and the other, told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. That had to be so encouraging. Do this in memory of me. As long as you break this bread, you acknowledge the death, my death. And then he immediately has communion with Cleopas and this, this other fellow. And now they're telling the 11 apostles, this is what they did. And that had to be encouraging them. That had to be God because that's one of the last things he said to us. It had to be him. So they knew that he had risen from the dead. Now the question that must be asked 
is how does the resurrection of Christ affect us here in this day? We realize that Christ rose from the dead, and we realize that at that point, he conquered death. So we, we recognize that we benefit in that way. But is there something ongoing that makes the resurrection incredibly significant to us? And there is. There are a number of things. But I will just use one name, the Holy Spirit. Prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit visited but did not indwell. <clears throat> there may be some exceptions in the Old Testament. Uh, John the Baptist, uh, as, as a matter of fact, in the womb, uh, there's, a, there's a, a scripture that says, and the Holy Spirit indwelled him. So there are those uh, exceptions perhaps, but by and large, the Holy Spirit visited and then left. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away this is Jesus speaking. For I do, if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus recognized, and he was telling the apostles late in his ministry, because he said, I'm leaving soon. And they were saddened by that. And he said, but you have to understand. They didn't understand how he was going to leave. So you have to understand that unless I leave, I cannot send the Helper to you. The moment you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living inside of believers. John 14.15 says this, if you love me, keep my commandments, I will ask the Father to give you another helper to be with you always. He is a spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. But you recognize him because he lives with you and will be in you. Also, 1 Corinthians 3, 17, 16 and 17, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If someone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, which is what you are. That will be an interesting part of our continuing study, is the holiness of God. Another one for believers that the Holy Spirit lives within us, 1 Corinthians 6.19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? The Holy Spirit loves us. Romans 15, 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to join fervently with me in prayer to God on my behalf. The Holy Spirit teaches us. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. Again, in Romans 8, 26, in the same way the Spirit also joins to keep, uh, uh, to help in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken 
groanings. Isaiah 11, 12. <clears throat> and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And finally, the Holy Spirit guarantees our salvation. Ephesians 1, 13, he is, he is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and, been, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And finally, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Holy Spirit, I think, is misunderstood by many people. Uh, some people perhaps cling to the Holy Spirit um, in an emotional way that makes some people uncomfortable and yet on the other side of that same thing uh, some of us are uh, um, a little bit fearful maybe of the Holy Spirit and neither needs to be the case but we recognize that without Jesus having gone to the cross and risen from the grave that we would not have the Holy Spirit in our lives as we have him today the resurrection is very relevant and very significant to us. And there's something that the, the scriptures said that if you are, are not of Christ, then you cannot have the Holy Spirit. And that's a crucial thing to understand. He's saying if you have not received Jesus, then you do not have the Holy Spirit. You may benefit from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit indwells others. And as he blesses others, you will reap some of that blessing. But there will come a time when the Holy Spirit will be removed from this world, and it will be horrible. So my encouragement to you is this. You receive Christ, at which point you receive the Holy Spirit. And all of these wonderful attributes I have read belong to you, and they can never be removed from you. It's the blood of Christ that paid for those. So you are the resurrection and the life. He who believes in you will never die. What a beautiful scripture. To Christ, you are the resurrection and the life. He who believes in you will never die. So I pray that uh, God's ministered to you this morning uh, through the words that I pray he has given to me to share with you. And that we're going to close now in celebration of the risen Lord. Father, we love you and praise you. You are glorious. Father, when we see you return, it will be words, we will have no words for it. And Father, when we see you face to face in heaven and you will wipe away our tears, Father, what joy we will experience. And we celebrate you, Lord. We thank you for your suffering and your death. 
We celebrate your resurrection. And we celebrate, Lord, receiving the Holy Spirit at your expense even to some degree. We love you and praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Resurrection Sunday.